Welcome to the Steve Has a Chat podcast, where I call someone out of the blue with the record button on and hope to have an unscripted conversation about Microsoft business applications. Let's see how it goes. Enjoy. Thank you for calling Microsoft. How can I direct your call? Steve Mordew for Charles Lamana. Will he know what this is regarding? Nope. Please hold while I transfer your call. Hey, Steve. I bet you're recording this, aren't you? Ah, Charles, you know I am. Did I catch you at a time where you could talk for a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I'm about to go to dinner, but I talk to you anytime, Steve. I appreciate that. So we're recording this on uh, Friday the 13th. Ooh, that's ominous. And there's right now there's a lot there's a lot of questions out there in the space and I thought, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to grab you and see if we can answer some of these for some of these folks. I've been fearlessly fud fighting for the last uh, week or two. I thought I just I just go grab the horse and get his mouth, so. <laughs> Sounds good. I can guess what you're fighting, but uh, I'll let you uh, share that first. I will. Uh, before I do that, congratulations on the promotion. Thank you very much. Corporate Vice President of um, Citizen Application Platform, right? Yeah, that's right. I think uh, I dilute the Microsoft CVP brand a little bit, but I'm not uh, I don't think so. so. <laughs> I don't think so. Are you still seeing that girl that uh, you introduced me to a little while back? Yes. Yeah. You know, well, what's funny is the place I'm going to dinner is actually the same place that we ran into each other. A sandwich. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess uh, she chose wisely then, uh, selecting a boyfriend. <laughs> Any, should we read anything into the citizen being part of the title? Um, so that's actually, so citizen application platform has been the name for our team for a while. And the main focus there is not like citizens of the United States or any country, but instead that anybody, even if they're not a professional developer, can use the Power Platform to go create applications, create dashboards, create flows, and so on. Um, that low-code element. So that's the real focus why we have the citizen application platform. So we're already shortening that to CAP. Yeah. You guys calling it CAP inside too? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a mouthful. And people, people ask me, like, do I work with the government or something? But nothing related to the government, just making it so anybody can build apps. So I think that uh, some of the, a lot of the questions, of course, are coming around from the Dynamics 365 guys. It's interesting because we used to all be Dynamics 365 guys, and now there are Dynamics 365 guys and Power Platform guys, and they they they, they kind of, you know, overlap some. But there's clearly a path for you know those like uh, myself and others that have decided you know we're going to go platform all the way, and you know a lot of the partners that are still you know heading down the the first party all the way, and some of the confusion that's out there around some of the new licensing things. Uh, I think it's, pro it's probably the, the two things that keep popping up on me and Mark's live weekly show. Have you heard that yet, by the way? I, I haven't, but uh, I'll, I'll check it out. If you guys are talking about licensing, I got to hear what what you're saying oh we're just saying wrong stuff i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> but uh but they're definitely the licensing and of course the api stuff popped up and and I, I i've been responding to both those and i realized that one of the things i was saying might not have been correct on the new per app licensing now you, you know that that ten dollar per app licensing yep. is is blowing up everybody's head right everybody's thinking this is this is crazy. I mean, this is going to blow up the market. This is going to, how, how can anybody make any money? But clearly this is a scale play. 
And uh, I was just under the assumption, I guess, because the way I was reading this stuff, that that $10 license was for a single app that you just built on the platform. And Ryan Cunningham confirmed with me the other day that, uh, no, you could use this on the Dynamics 365 instance as well if a user is only using a single app that doesn't use any restricted entities. Well, there's hardly any restricted entities in the sales app. And I thought, well... (laughs) I mean, you're just going to have a bunch of people that are going to take and, you know, pull out a couple of things in a sales app they may not be using anyway and start paying 10 bucks instead of 95. Clearly, that's not the intent. Is, 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 was he wrong? Am I wrong? Or is there, is there just this idea that, you know what, we're, we're going for scale at 10 bucks and everything else get out of the way? You're both right. But let me inject an additional piece of information. So even in a Dynamics instance, you can use the new per app per user license. That's $10 for Power Apps. As long as you don't use any of the restricted entities or any of the application IP, like a schedule board or something from field service, um, the piece of information that's missing is that list of sales restricted entities as part of the new per app per user license. There's a few more entities from sales that will be added to that list. So, uh, so, so now it starts making a little more sense. Yeah, because yeah. I, I was thinking, you know, whoever owns the sales app must be crapping their pants over there at this stuff. So you, you got to throw him something uh, yeah. to keep his P&L going. Uh, are you yeah. at liberty to say what those are yet? Or Yeah, so I, I don't have the exact list off the top of my head. But I mean, the, the intent is exactly as you described with the list that, that we have. And that is to make sure that if you are using the Dynamics for Sales Application IP, yeah. which has a whole giant engineering org working on it, then it's only fair to pay Dynamics 365 for sales licenses or go purchase them. Um, so like, it's not going to be contact, but the ability to create an opportunity and manage opportunities, that probably should be restricted, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, that's where it starts kicking into the logic, you know, and, and, and certainly those aren't components of the platform by itself, whereas contact is. Yeah. Um, and that's where you start bringing in the Microsoft vetted logic around all that stuff. So that makes sense. That makes sense. Plus, uh, it's good for me, as you know, from what yeah. from what we're doing. I'm sitting here thinking, oh, great, everybody's just going to go start paying ten bucks for the sales app, and I don't have I don't have a business anymore. Yeah. Uh, so so I'm still good. The <laughs> the uh, on the API stuff, and you know, I've been kind of comparing this. You know, there's a lot of fud out there, and and frankly, it's, I I've probably created some in the past. I know I've, I've not always you know said positive things but at least i said things that were true and uh and and lately you know every time you guys go announce something and i'm just picturing you guys sitting back there reading that thing a hundred times thinking okay this is this is going to be fine right nobody's going to have a problem with this and push the publish button and all hell breaks loose um, and I feel, I feel for you guys i really do you know especially when these folks just attack uh, anything you say and try and turn it into like the worst case possible scenario and and the API limits, I think, is the one that all I'm hearing people say is, you know, open a contact record. It does 50 API calls, you know, making it – they're clearly taking that conversation in a direction. And my understanding from you guys is that when you when you do things like this with these limits, you're, you're looking at – at the at the at a fraction of the market that's outside of it. I mean, ninety five percent of the people out there today shouldn't even have to think about this. Is that a fair statement? That's exactly right. And I mean, all the limits are bit at this point. Dynamics is such a big service with such a big surface area and so many customers. We can do pretty good quantitative analysis of what a typical user or a typical customer does, and we did that. And that's where the API limits came from because. 
Um, our main focus, like put very simply, we want basically all except the most sophisticated complex implementations to just require user licenses because it's just such an easier conversation for the customer. I have a thousand sellers. I want a thousand sales apps. That's it. Boom, done. You don't want to have to go architect. How many API calls do they make? How many integrations do I have? And basically our position is you shouldn't have that conversation. Um, if you're just going to do this, the vanilla sales workload or vanilla general power apps workloads over CDS, you don't need to go even think about API calls. And um, we do that. We do it because there are customers who do use a lot of API calls and it is important to their implementation and they like additional API capacity, but there's no way for them to purchase it from Microsoft today. Yeah. Um, so we have to have a limit and then we have to have a way to purchase incremental API calls in order for that model to work. But again, the idea is we're not selling infrastructure or as there's no cores and none of that stuff. We just want customers to be able to buy USLs for power apps, for flow, as well as for uh, dynamics. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it kind of creates some fairness too, because obviously we've had issues in the past with a, a certain segment of customers that's getting a lot more from the platform than intended and everybody else is using it as intended. So I can imagine if you've got some customer that because of how they're using the platform and running their business or generating, you know, a zillion API calls, well, they should be paying more. They're getting more out of it. They're doing more with it than the average customer who isn't. So I think it makes it a little more fair. I've always been annoyed at thinking that my customers or myself am subsidizing other customers overuse. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Tragedy so of the commons, right? That's what the problem is with the with the multi-tenant SaaS. Um, people can use way more infrastructure at no incremental cost, so it has issues. We're just trying to shape that behavior. But I think, but I mean, I'll I'll own from a Microsoft point of view. We could have done a lot more to more clearly communicate those changes and make it more obvious and provable that the vast, 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 vast majority of our customers will not be impacted. And we kind of view it, it's like our whole, and it's kind of funny, we didn't really expect such a pushback on it, but we, we viewed it as just like that little asterisk that you have like with your cell phone or cable provider where like when I get my internet from Comcast, I don't think about how many gigabytes I use to download, but there is a limit. I mean, it's really big and I bet like almost nobody hits it, but there is a limit at some point of internet download I can go do with uh, my internet provider. Um, but they have those same types of protections, but I just don't worry about it because it's not front and center. So I think we should have done more to make it clear that that's the intent of these changes, to be that little asterisk that you really don't have to think about unless you're doing something well outside the normal bounds. You know, we, we had the same challenge with the storage when we tried to change the storage for the better. And, and when that first got got announced, all you heard was storage is going up eight times. Yep. And, you know, everybody's thinking, oh, my God, I, you know, and, and, you know, you guys retrenched a little bit, came back with a, a little clearer story uh, about how that would work. And I, I'm sure some people are paying a little more, but none of my customers are. So uh, that doesn't seem to have impacted, but a fraction of customers also. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of those changes, our whole like, our whole goal is we want our billing model to also not drive weird behavior or like bad behavior that make it hard to implement. And like the old storage instance cost model did that. So, I mean, that's like why it was really important to change. And some of the new API call models also do that. We just want to make it so if you build things the right way, the, the licensing and billing model will, will reward you for a more reasonable price. 
so you you say you don't want to reward or create uh, weird behavior, but you know we, we just launched a ten dollar SKU that sits on a platform that has access to all of the XRM capabilities. If somebody was motivated enough and had enough budget, they could essentially build the entire Dynamics 365. They wouldn't. We've and as I stand back and kind of look, you know, from my perspective, having been probably one of the first people in there when there still was missing parts and seen them come, have seen the portals come, we've seen the outlook come, we've seen the accelerators now have CDS only versions. We're, we're just seeing more and more stuff coming to the platform that that's, that's got a, an awful lot of appeal to people to, I won't say do weird behavior, but think I want to get off this $95 SKU if I can. I mean, what's the thinking inside on that? I mean, is that, that's got to be expected. Yeah, I think just our, our viewpoint would be if we like we are, I'd say we are quite confident on the Microsoft side that the value and the intellectual property and the ongoing services and support and SLAs and integrations that come with the proper dynamics applications can and will continue to command those prices. And and it's not always ninety five dollars. Like we also have Sales Pro and Customer Service sure. Pro, which are at a cheaper price. Um, and even if you use the pro license or the enterprise license, it also entitles you to uh, a multitude of custom applications in that same environment, um, which the the ten dollar per user license doesn't. So, like, I think we feel pretty good about that value prop. And like, kind of going back to the, we don't want to, we don't want to do artificial things with our billing model. Like, we think a platform for one app, ten dollars per user per month that can unlock the entire world to build all their apps on that platform. And we feel like that's the right price for it, the right cost between the customer and Microsoft. And we wouldn't want that statement, which we believe to be true, to go be limited because we also think that we can sell a, a finished SaaS application in the case of sales or service for pro and enterprise at mm-hmm. a higher premium. Like we, we think both those things can exist and we will have blends. Like we will have customers who will repurpose their their sales license for platform capabilities. And we'll have customers who will use their platform license to go try to create a mini CRM. And we think that's okay. That, I mean, that's just their own calculation based on the value. But we're, we're aiming for the 95 to 99% of the entire world where we think the value prop works pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I know that when I look across our customer base, there there certainly is a significant percentage of those people that are heavily using a lot of those high value features that you talk about. And you know, then there's a segment that just never did. They're, they're just kind of using basic stuff, and those are those are going to be pretty simple candidates to say, hey, you know what? You're not using all this stuff. Just drop down, or you know, try and do a sales job to give it a start using it. Because the the worst case scenario is they they aren't using it, uh, and they feel like they're paying too much, and then they just churn out. And I'd, I'd rather move them down and keep them on something that they want. Maybe they grow back up. That's that's another story is that's had a little confusion out there is that migration back and forth story. Now, my understanding uh, today is, if, of course, if we start on CDS and the customer says, hey, uh, this is pretty good, but I want to get some of those snazzy features in the first party. Right now, we're looking at a migration project, I think. Is that something that you guys think will be fixed? Or is it something that is a concern or something to think about? Or are we just kind of look at those as different customer types? Um, no, I'd say we definitely don't want to require a data migration like it does today. Um, and kind of the way we want to get to a proper model where, because I think of um, 
think of like the CDS in the platform as almost like Windows OS, right? You buy the Windows OS and then you go buy all the apps you want and install it on the OS. And it's not like if I buy Windows and I install Office, but then I want to install, I don't know, Adobe Acrobat or something, I have to go re-image my Windows server, right? So we, so we want to make that be the right layering. And, and that's really just an architectural legacy reason um, for it being that way today. But long term, absolutely, you want to allow it. So you start with CDS, you can add sales, you can add service, you can add field service, um, you can add talent, you can add project online, you can add and mix and match all these different applications on top of that CDS environment. And we have early positive signs where that happens. We can't do it for the core CRM app yet, but flow approvals, which is modeled as an XRM app, and Project Online from Office 365, that's also an app installed on CDS. Those, we actually have many customers who start with a blank CDS and then end up with both of those applications installed. Um, in addition to Talent, which is also an app on top of CDS, the, all those three apps added incrementally organically over time on top of CDS. So that works great. We just need to go make it so the core CRM also can do the same thing. And that's just some legacy reasons, which as you know, we've been on a journey the last year and a half to go clean up. And we're kind of going piece by piece, like Outlook and activities and server-side sync are all just some examples where we're hammering against that. Uh, but we think we'll get there, no problem, in the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, for what we've been trying to do with the Rapid Start, the uh, Outlook app was was definitely something we needed. I mean, everybody was wanting something like that. So thank you for that. And you know I was hammering you guys for it, too. Yeah, you would never let me forget it. I mean, I wanted to make sure it was done before we had this phone call happen again. But, <laughs> but yeah. no problem. You guys got it done. Appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, and I've, I've heard quite a bit about Rapid Start, so it's great to see the the traction of a like of a third party app built on top of the platform. It's really exciting oh. for us. Oh yeah, on. yeah, we're we're excited too. We're we're uh, we're developing some now on top of the accelerators. So you know, on the you have much to do with the accelerator groups. Yeah, so it's not directly out of my team, but we collaborate very, very closely with them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, accelerators are so key because like the world increasingly is going to like industry-based motions. Um, like if I'm a financial institution, do I really have to rebuild all the financial services goo that goes on top of a CRM or CDS all the time? They don't want to. So the accelerators just provide a ton of value out of the box. Yeah, so they just... Um... They just with the banking accelerator, accelerator, I think it's the first one where they released a CDS only version and then some, uh, you know, some additional add on versions that might take advantage of some of the first party. Um, and I was talking to James about that. Uh, and he said there's a, a, a plan to kind of go back to the other one. So as soon as they did that, you know, we, we took a look at that banking core, which is an accelerator and our, put our accelerator on top of that accelerator. That'll be real fast. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and looking at uh, looking at trying to leverage those accelerators. So I, I think that's going to be an interesting. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be curious to see what the market does. You know, with something like that that's built on a you know on an accelerator. Um, it'd be a good. It'll be a good test for the market. Yeah. And if it's point, sorry, just on the accelerator bit for Dynamics 365, like our core customer engagement or CRM app, the accelerators have been absolutely key the last six months to drive business. In the yeah, health and financial that. services yeah. places, man, it's been a lifesaver for us because customers just love to see that fast time to value. And then, so just we're, we're, we think that accelerators are going to be really important for the platform, for the Dynamics apps, and for third party apps that build in our ecosystem. 
you know, uh, talking about data models and industry data models, what's what's the latest on ODI? Is that uh, progressing as you had hoped? Is it going faster, slower? Is it going to happen? What do you think? Or is there too many people punching? Exactly at the pace as we want would want slash expect. Um, okay. And, and what I and I'll expand on what I mean by that. ODI is one of those super like industry changing efforts and motions. And the reason it's industry changing is because we're bringing together so many companies like SAP, Adobe, and Microsoft that historically don't partner together and are built on completely different stacks. We're bringing together all three companies to go do something uh, to create basically open data for our mutual and joint customers uh, in a well-defined schema with a well-defined set of entities um, to deliver a bunch of value to customers. Um, So that's going to be a big deal when it lands, but just... The it's a big rock. Yeah, it's exactly. a big rock to move. Three companies and 25 different applications. You mix in Dynamics, you mix in Office, you mix in Azure on the Microsoft side. Um, it takes time, but when it when it arrives, it's going to be a big deal. So ODI is absolutely something to pay attention to, and it's something that continues to get significant investment from all three companies. Um, it'll, it's it's taken its time, but I think it's going to be it's when it arrives, it's going to be a really transformational item for our customers. Are you still driving that? I'm not. Robert Bruckner uh, on our team is driving that. Uh, we support it from the platform, of course. Uh, just the uh, it's a lot of energy going into all the to go drive that process. So um, I'm glad we have Robert shouldering the burden. So <laughs> yeah. So we got October release coming right around the corner, and of course the advanced news that has come out. Uh, all anybody's been focusing on, uh, you know, the the fudrakers is on licensing and APIs, but. If you take that part of the conversation aside, which I feel like we should have done in our conversation so far, I feel like we've accomplished that to all but the truly ignorant. Uh, if we take that part aside, what what do you think are some of the most exciting things people should be looking for in this release for, for Power Platform? Um, the I would say there's a few little things which I think are a big deal, and then there's a few big things. The little things are just usability improvements. If you anyone's gone on and turned on the October release switch in the admin center, um, you'll have noticed a significant modernization of the unified interface um, for model-driven applications. There's much better grid density, much better density on forms, way less wasted white space, better now. Navig- how long have we been hearing that, right? People complain about white space. So it's yeah. glad to see that one finally. Lookups are this. better. Oh man, like, and it, it's, they're all little things. But you know what? We fixed the top 10 most painful user experience items of Unified Interface for October. And it's hard to do that in a way which doesn't trigger a whole bunch of retraining for our customers. So we had to be really thoughtful and diligent. And you may not even realize it until if you first turn it on, but just open it up side by side. Um, We're really proud of those. Lots of little changes, lots of little pebbles that together really change the experience for Dynamics and for model-driven applications for Power Apps. So those are the end of little ones. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I was poking around in a, in an October version, and uh, yeah, you could definitely feel it's it's not dramatic. It's not like oh my god, where, where am I at? Uh, you, you haven't lost anything, but you you definitely sense right off the bat the density, yeah. and 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 the features that have been added are yeah. I think I think you guys probably did a, a smooth job of that. So now tell us about the bumpy stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> bumpy. So the big stuff, the bulky stuff would be. AI Builder is going is reaching general availability, and as is uh, Power Apps Portals. And we think um, 
basically the, a modern platform needs to be able to support B2C, so external users to your company, as well as anonymous access. And Power Apps Portals delivers that for the standalone Power Apps customers. And then we also believe the future of all applications and all automations and workflows is an intelligent, uh, enriched uh, experience. And AI Builder delivers that for us. So you can use binary classification and the prediction capabilities inside of AI Builder to make your Power Apps that are Canvas model driven, but built on top of CDS, make them much smarter. Um, and that that is one of my favorite features. It's just it's just so amazing how easily you can enable a machine learning model without any data science or even developer background. So, and then also we have the like things like the forms recognizer, which actually parses uh, digital paper, PDFs, JPEGs, what what have you, extracts that information into a structured form, and you can use that in your Power App or your Flow. And we're we're seeing unbelievable adoption. Almost 50% of all AI builder customers are using the forms understanding capability. Um, it's just, yeah. it's so transformative for the back office. And if you haven't checked it out, just just use it. And then you, in, your mind will start racing where my legal department, my finance department, my HR department, my procurement department, all of them can just work so much more efficiently if you can get forms recognized or working with flow. So we think portals and AI builder are two big, bulky, meaningful changes for power platform. And, and I, AI, AI Builder goes cross, right? I mean, that'll you can stand up AI Builder on just bare CDS. You can stand it up on first party. It goes across, right? Yep, absolutely. And I'd say yeah. I apologize to anyone else from my team that may be listening that I didn't mention your feature that you worked on, but they're all important in the October release. <laughs> but, but those are my three most favorite children. I definitely am hearing excitement about AI Builder. Um, and, and Portals is another one that's getting its share of FUD. Uh, I, I wrote something here recently and... Some guy jumped on uh, social talking about how Salesforce is so much cheaper because of this, that, and the other. And unfortunately, Dilip happened to see what was going on. He jumped in and said, wait just a minute here, and kind of clarified some stuff uh, right out there that uh, that reversed that whole story. So I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the day when, when we don't have a whole bunch of people out there watching your every move looking for the gotchas. <laughs> well, I say, I say our, our goal at Microsoft is is broad adoption, which I mean, generally reflects in lower prices. I mean, that's yeah. our goal. We, we like if you go to Microsoft's mission statement, empower everyone and every organization to do more. You can't do that with like outrageous bespoke boutique pricing. So that definitely is not our objective. And we certainly will learn and we make mistakes. But our push is we want everybody to be able to use this thing. I want everybody in the world to build apps and create flows and create Power BI dashboards. Yeah, we'll leave the hidden cost to Salesforce. They're pretty good at that. So, Charles, anything else you want to touch on? I've got, uh, I don't know, millions of people that will be listening to this probably. Um, uh, I mean, the, the biggest thing I would say is, uh, and this is my kind of call to action every time I talk to you, maybe it's uh, like a overwrought point at this, uh, at this point in time, but Power Platform, I mean, our push is to go unify the Office and Dynamics communities with a single low-code platform for all of Microsoft. And in the process, make it so everybody in the world can use or can have access to analyze data, create apps, and build automations. So if you haven't checked out Power Platform as just Power Platform and outside of Dynamics or Office, go do it now. I think I think it's super amazing. In five minutes, you can get value. And just uh, from the point of view of Microsoft as a company, it's just it's just really critical to where we think the future is going. Yeah, I've had people ask me where where's the best place to start with Power Platform and 
I, I typically suggest flow because it's yep. about the easiest one to understand, the quickest of value, and they, they suddenly these light bulbs start going off. Yeah. And uh, you know, when people are talking about building, because we're doing a lot of work with customers that are moving up from spreadsheets. That's a huge mountain out there of customers that are doing relatively complex business processes on a bunch of shared spreadsheets and torturing them. Yeah. And uh, we're generally recommending those customers go straight to a model-driven app uh, as kind of that foundation. Because then from there, you know, they can spring off with Canvas Flow, AI Builder, Power BI, all those other things. And uh, it's we're at a point, we're starting to get to a point where I'm getting crisp with that conversation because, because you know, whenever you announce new things and stuff like that, nobody knows what we're talking about. You know, the yeah. partners are behind and customers are behind her. Yeah. So lots of education. There's a sales, a sales process now is an education process. It probably will be for a while because I don't see you guys slowing down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never. We yeah, it looks just you're not even gonna let us catch our breath before you're gonna go <laughs> do some stuff and uh, keep keeping the partners hopping. Yeah. Well, Charles, uh, I appreciate you taking some time. I knew I, I might be able to catch you here in the last hour of your work week, and I was I was glad to do it. We'll be publishing this here, you know, I don't know, probably Monday or something like that. Get it out there pretty quick while everybody's got all the questions. So. Yeah. Sounds good. You have a good night. You mentioned something about dinner, so enjoy your dinner. Yeah, as always, uh, it's good chatting. Thanks, Steve. Tell your girlfriend I said hi. <laughs> Will do. All right, bye, guys. Bye now.